Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I am your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we'll meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who in this time of crisis are offering their hearts and talents to all of us. And our guest today is Sarah Health, who is a yoga and mindfulness teacher. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Happy to have you here. Now, I know you, I've, I've actually participated at least via Zoom with some of your movements on the meditation class that we both attend session. Um, my question to you is, is that, is that what you've always done? Because this is very gentle and loving uh, meditation, uh, not meditation, but yoga. It's like sitting in a chair and doing yoga, which is different than my understanding in the past of yoga. Have you always done this kind of yoga? Uh, actually, no, I have not. I would say, well, um, that, it's like a two-part answer, yes and no. Yes and uh, no. Those are the best answers. Yes and no. Uh, I like to think that I have always taught with um, gentle mindfulness, like in, in, always taught with intention. Um, but I definitely began my practice as um, what I now kind of lovingly call the young and the restless yogis, which are like uh, one of those 20-something yogis who get into it um, for the the heat and the, the strength that it provides. And um, you get kind of addicted in the beginning. And I think in your in your early 20s, when, when I first found yoga, I was in my freshman year of college. And uh, I really was, I had, I, I'm from Iowa originally. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I had moved to New York City um, uh, on Long Island. And I, it was quite a culture shock for me. So I had a yes, lot of, I would think so. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of uh, kind of stress at the time and trying to kind of um, reimagine myself while keep the integrity of my Midwestern identity. And yoga really helped me calm and also stay fit. So um, I, it began definitely with, uh, um, with mind-body. Like I, I recognized right away that not only did it help me stay active, but it cleared and calmed my mind and really centered me uh, for all of the practices at that time, I was studying how to be an actor. And um, quite frankly, the whole profession of, of acting and entertainment can be decentering to who you are um, at your well, core. It, it asks you to be somebody else than who you are. Yeah, exactly. And so um, when I first found yoga, um, I, I then recognized how kind of little compassion, how hard I, I was on myself as a young person. And I, I still think as, as, an, as a slightly older young person <laughs> now, <laughs> I think I still, that's what I gained from yoga is that, um, that kind of mindful self-compassion. But it did start out as something that was more um, physically minded for me. And when I first started teaching, I taught mostly power vinyasa practices. Um, but there was always a desire in me to kind of sneakily teach my students about the more subtle practices of yoga. And then um, very soon into my teaching career, I was introduced to working with um, disabled athletes. So people who are living with, with disabilities, but were actually very, very strong individuals and were not necessarily what my original concept of what a person with a disability was or could do physically. And so my world totally transformed and, and really in 
really early in my teaching career, I recognized that <clears throat> the subtler practices were more transformative, really, to the core of a being than some of those larger, more um, physically minded shapes that we kind of think of when we like think of yoga in the magazines or um, the power of yeah, not twisting yourself into a pretzel, but yeah, I do a lot of pretzel yoga these days. <laughs> yes, and unwinding, and not and not forty people in a room, hot hot room, you know. Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that actually, because up until the pandemic, um, I felt like I was, I ha I had a teaching practice practice that was quite um, like dichotomic really. Um, to pay my bills, I had become an integral part of a hot power studio community. And so I was, I was actually before the pandemic teaching weekly in hot power vinyasa studios to packed houses, you know, to like 30 to, to 50 students. Um, but um, I made my career as a yoga teacher by kind of juxtaposing that teaching with traveling to work with my uh, persons with disabilities uh, and the accessible yoga organization. So in 2015, I found this nonprofit organization that ran conferences called Accessible Yoga. And um, actually 2015, I believe was their first conference. And one of my clients in, a, in the paratriathlon world um, had suggested this conference to me. And when I went, I knew that I had found my people. You know, I've been like making it up as I went along, right? Having been trained as a, as a power teacher, as like a vinyasa teacher, something that was flowing where you, you had to have all four, had to have your arms and your legs. You had to be really able-bodied. That was my initial training. But because I had to teach to the students that were in front of me, I had to change. Yes, yes, indeed. And, um, Prior to the pandemic, I was I was doing just that. I was I was teaching in those power vinyasa packed studios with those competitive people, and um, I I really wanted to change. I really wanted to dedicate my my life and my teaching to um, kind of what you what you've experienced, actually, Tom. I wanted I really wanted to dedicate my life to being gentler and teaching people to be more gentle with themselves through the practice of yoga and mindful movement in general. Um, and, and I guess in, in that regard, the pandemic has been kind of a blessing. I was gonna say, you were given a gift in that regard. And I think actually look, the pandemic with all its problems and there's no way of getting around the difficulties including deaths and all, but, but for those who have not had that, they have gotten gifts of time, of, of, of being quieter, of being gentler. You know, it's, it's hard to, I mean, I grew out of an advertising world where I worked in advertising. You run so fast, so very fast. And one of the reasons I love going to um, the meditation class we go to and your yoga is that it's, it's gentle, it's soft. And that I'm, I'm no longer 21. And it's, <laughs> it's much easier for me to do. And I don't have to, I also don't get the feeling that I have to be some kind of unusual athlete. Uh, to do this. So when you, you were faced with this, that you're going, this is your people, this is you're going to do, but how did you know how to do this? How to, how to do this so that people who either were in their 80s like I am or who were injured um, 
with permanently or or partially um, could do the work. How did you find? How did you learn how to do that? Well, to be very candid, um, I didn't know. Right. <laughs> to be very candid, I what I researched. You know, I had a. I I will just really never forget in 2013 when I when I first was I was living in Chicago and teaching a, a yin yoga class, which is a passive style of, I, I call it yin hyphen restorative because I have a, a restorative mindful uh, kind of approach to the yin style, which can be uh, without props. It's long holds. It's, it's a cold style of practicing, but like without going too deeply in depth um, the description of that practice, I was teaching in Chicago at a boutique fitness studio endurance athleticism. And I, I wasn't an endurance athlete by any means, but I came to understand that for endurance athletes, the practice of yin yoga, the passivity, the coolness was really appropriate for their rest days and for stretching out these muscles that they worked a lot, right? And, to, and it was like integral to the process of of preventing repetitive stress injuries. Um, and so I learned first and foremost from not being an endurance athlete myself, I learned from other people that what I was doing was a benefit to them. And in that, at that same location, that was where these marathon pushers, people who, are, who live in their wheelchairs and push in marathons. I had one student who had pushed in a marathon in, in every state, in all 50 states. Wow. Um, and I mean, just like really incredible people who happen to just have been in an accident or be born without the use of their legs. And they were still competitive kind of type A strong people. And so the first thing I had to do was research for myself what was safe, you know? So like my joke is that I went to like Dr. Google, right? <laughs> Initially. And then I started to find literature that inspired me to continue my education. Um, Matthew Sanford, who is a yoga teacher who lives in a wheelchair as well. Uh, he teaches um, at an organization he created called Mind Body Solutions in uh, the, the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, St. Paul area of Minnesota. He wrote a book called Waking about his journey as a wheelchair user finding yoga and new yogic philosophy. Um, so basically I, uh, I was initially self-taught my first three years of teaching, um, I just, I worked intuitively and, and I don't necessarily recommend that for every new teacher. I lead teacher training programs now, but I think you can, to some extent, really trust yourself. And what was most important was creating a dialogue with my students because every body was different. Like every human body is different. We all look different. We think differently. And then every injury and, and every neurological disorder, it affects people differently. You know, even when you get like a flu, so to, so to speak, or like we've seen with COVID, like there are a myriad of symptoms and they seem to affect everybody differently. So I think the way that I, I learned how to work with people who are not, um, not physically like myself, which there's like kind of nobody exactly like me, right? But was just talking, talking to them. Well, you know, more important, you talk about talking, but you do something else, which is wonderful. You listen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, listen. I mean, you have to listen to find out 
what works for them? I mean, does that shoulder move that way? Mm-hmm. You, know, you ask them to move their shoulder and they, and they don't. You say, well, what's, what's happening? But you listen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to in order to keep, yeah, you're very, that's very astute. Yeah, I had to, yeah. And that, you know, yoga teaches us that if we're really practicing those subtler forms and meditation, you end up listening to yourself. And when you, when you listen to yourself, then you, you kind of, you know what to do. You like tap into your innate wisdom and you know what to do. And you're right. I I knew what to do by listening to what they told me. (laughs) And it's that mindfulness part, which is combined with the movements, but the mindfulness, you have to have it, like you talk about the people in wheelchairs going on marathons, the mind has to be really strong and very with this uh, event in order to do it. And if your mind is going, I don't want to do this, you're never going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and my my teaching um, lent me to working in, and also in, in recovery. I, I took over for one summer, a teacher who was um, teaching for a 12 step program, which was not also something I had not experienced, but she needed a substitute and I ended up teaching for them. And I, I as you're saying, absolutely. I just found that if I followed the, the, the wisdom, the teachings that were already laid out for me, the yoga teachings, Buddhist principles, principles outlined in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. If I just followed the template, it worked. You know, yeah. like, you know, people begin to, you know, you have, you have to want it. You have to want to recover in order to do it. You have to want to listen in order to hear. Yes, right. Well, as, as you say, you have to want it in like 12 step programs or addiction of any kind. If you want, you have to want not to do it. You want to want to give it up and to, deal with whatever that means but to have a yoga mm-hmm. class i think is a wonderful thing i i i guess i had not heard of that uh as something that's being done in 12 step um i think that's great i think that's just superb yeah so, go ahead your practice has changed a lot then i take it because you can't do hot yoga these days you can't have 40 people in a room so i imagine you do most of your stuff online today is that true yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. I think I have, I have two long-standing private clients that I see in in-person, masked um, outdoors because I'm fortunate to have the pleasant weather in Southern California. But all of my other teaching has gone online, so I use mostly Zoom. Um, yeah, mostly Zoom. Actually, Zoom all day. I wish I'd known five years ago that I should have. You can do that. How how is that? I this is kind of a personal question, but. How is that financially for you? Because when you have 40 people in a room, they're all paying something. Ah, that's not, that is a beautiful subject to bring up because I mean, I think maybe it's for a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother overarching subject matter of the, the yoga industry as a whole. And how yes. as instructors, I, um, I would be, we do not have a yoga union um, and I, I would be pro yoga union. So, we don't necessarily get paid per student. If you're working for a studio, you may get paid just an hourly rate. Uh-huh. And, and uh, so to be perfectly honest, moving to a donor-based or a donation-based platform uh, has actually been fine. Uh, I would say I was doing, very, I had, you know, I, I've been in this business for about 10 years, a little over a decade now. Um, and I was doing pretty well for myself uh, in 2019. It was my 
because I guess my best fiscal year, it's funny to say that as a yoga teacher, I think we kind of like ignore our finances all, almost, but um, I think it's important for uh, the elders of our career field, which I guess I'm kind of graduating into that to talk about it. Um, but I was doing really well for myself in 2019. Uh, moving towards a donation-based platform is really scary for me. I have a suggested donation that on my website, you can like toggle and make the class free for yourself. I felt like um, during COVID, it was really important to make them accessible. As I had made my classes physically accessible, I had to then in turn also make them financially accessible. Um, and so it has been okay. It has been okay. Um, well, it's good to hear that. It's good to hear it because what you were saying and what I've noticed <clears throat> over the years with people who are wellness teachers of any kind, they rarely are exceptionally good at marketing. And, uh, and figuring out how to make a living, which is a shame because we really have to have, um, for, you, for you to be available to me or anyone else, you have to be making enough income to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Otherwise yeah. you're not able to help me. So I mean, it's a, it's a balance that has to happen. And, and many of the teachers of these wonderful uh, techniques of all kinds don't seem to make enough money and, and therefore they go out of business, which is a loss. So uh, I am in complete agreement with that. One thing that I learned uh, within the first four or five years of teaching is that the greatest way to create a sustainable income was um, diversifying this, my revenue streams. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, uh, frequently teachers will get paid between um, 35 to $75, which is quite a range. Um, right for one class for a studio. So that's like one hour, but usually you, you still come in early and you stay late. So you end up not really making as much as you think when you like sign that contract for $65 right. an hour. It's really $65 for two hours plus your, you know, your drive, your commute. And living in the LA area, I learned very quickly in the Los Angeles area that you cannot spread yourself too thin or you will die. <laughs> you will burn. Uh, you'll, you'll be dead. <laughs> well, there's another advantage, so to speak, of the COVID situation is we're all working online from home and the transportation costs are very minimal and the time problem is, is minimal too. So absolutely, I, I, mean, I do think it's wonderful and, I, and I'm glad to hear that you are actually meeting with some people in person because that personal contact is important and particularly in what you do, I think is very important to have some personal contact. Absolutely, yeah. I, I certainly miss the community aspect. Like I enjoy um, being the person that brings people together. Um, and so I, I miss being able to introduce two students that I know will get along and making making friendships and making collaborative projects. Um, I definitely miss, miss that for sure. That, that's a it's a wonderful thing to be able to do, to be collaborative and bring people together. <coughs> it's, and it's harder to do these days because of, of the situation we're in, but we'll, we'll, we'll get past that. We definitely will. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I, hope, I hope the yoga industry is changing for the better because of this. Um, the, you know, the subject that you bring up of how the yoga teachers, it is, and, and a lot of healing practitioners in, in a general sense, there is quite a, a challenge to create a sustainable income. And um, by kind of like clearing, kind of clearing the forest, which I, it's not something I actually think is good, but <laughs> to use that sort of metaphor, you know, we have thinned, 
we've really changed the industry. There's a, a lot of studios that I, I work for. Um, what, what my fear is that a lot of independent studios have succumbed to financial hardship during this time and have either tried to go online or have um, dissolved their businesses. But I hope that by kind of thinning our industry a little bit, we're, we're creating space for the teachers themselves to stand up and make a more uh, livable, livable income for themselves. To understand that they can they can do it on their their own. It's it's wonderful to have a a studio that you can go to and a community that is established that you can come into. But um, being able to stand on your own two feet. Um, well, that's I think what we're talking about is what businesses all over are going to be talking about. Some mm -hmm. at home, you know, some people can work at home. They don't have to have as much office space for a company, but they also need the community and getting together over the water cooler or whatever is an important part of it. So I think that the future appears to hold a combination as opposed to one way or no way. Yeah, absolutely. Just as my, I think my my teaching style from a personal from a personal standpoint was really split, was really divided into different populations of people, which was never my intention. You know, my intention from the beginning was integrated classes, where I was a teacher of skill and education that could teach to a standing fully able-bodied person and a person who has a difference of ability um, at the same time. And that's actually what how, how my career developed was that I started leading teacher training programs um, that taught newer teachers or teachers with experience who just hadn't had an opportunity to, to merge these populations. Because this is what the world looks like, you know, the meditation group where, where we met, you know, that is such a diverse population. We have, you know, young people in their 20s all the way to people in their 80s. And that's the world that we live in. Correct. That's and I, wonderful. And yeah. I also think you're building up a reputation, not only because you're a good teacher, but being honest and careful and caring, compassionate by offering a sliding scale or you don't, if you can't pay, you don't have to. Because um, one of the things that that's, is true about a Zoom room is expandable. I mean, you might be in a classroom, you could only have 20 people, but in the Zoom room, if you, if you start with 20, you could have 40. Yeah, absolutely. We've learned that with the, um, with the accessible yoga, uh, training school that that program has changed you know it used to be a set of like six to eight facilitators that my mentor had picked out of his training or had you know we had developed a relationship I wouldn't say he like plucked us it, it wasn't particularly exclusive we offered to be right. leaders of the program and um, so like in 2018 and 2019 I was traveling around the country which is something that I, I'm very passionate about travel and creating community that's global. Um, and so we were traveling to studios and you're right, we were limited by the space of the studio, limited by your own feeling of how many, how many students you felt like you could kind of manage at one time. Um, and so I, I like to have my groups between 10 and 20 and, and you know, my mentor Jeevana would keep his groups limited to about 50, having had much more experience with larger groups. And now the training school um, is online and we, we, he can teach like 300 or more students at one time. Right. I, it's can, amazing. Can you imagine, I don't know if this is what's going to happen, but after the, the virus has passed and we all feel comfortable going out in public again, can you imagine like going out in a studio which has 30 or 40 people in it, but still also having a Zoom to that class and adding another couple of hundred people? 
in the same class. I would, that would be amazing. I can't imagine that. I think there's well, probably- I give you that idea for free. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome, you're welcome. So right now we're, we're amazingly, I've had this fun conversation. We're coming to an end here. And what I'll make sure we do is for people who are listening to us, who, and people, some people might have, you know, some fears about doing yoga or might have some worries or questions or might want a class that they could do themselves. What's the best way that they could get in touch with you? What, what shall we tell them? How do they reach you? How to reach Sarah? Uh, well, I prefer email. Email is the easiest way to get to me. My email is Sarah at accessibleyoga.org. Accessibleyoga.org. Sarah at, okay. Yes, and I have a new website that is being built kind of as we speak, and that's called Grounded Source Yoga. Grounded Source Yoga. Is it ready yet for people to be? Um, it will be probably by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> okay. I hope. Uh, well, that is grounded. where you can go to sign up for classes. So I That's, do have my Zoom classes, and you can go there and sign up for classes. That's www.groundedsourceyoga. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Well, that will be in the verbal as we're doing it right now and in the written description that I will put in also. Wonderful. So, Sarah, I thank you so much for being here. It's been a delight. And I hope many more people will get in touch with you and have the pleasure that I have had of working with you and, being, and learning from you and getting that kind and mindfulness help that we all need this, this time and every time. The world is never, it may be past the pandemic someday, but we're never past stress. And you offer a very stress-releasing kind of work. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Tom. The pleasure's on mine. Take good care and thank the audience, all who's listening to listening to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. Thank you for being here. <laughs>